0: You are receiving this transmission. You are Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Network. Welcome to Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now, let's dig into history. Hey, y'all, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you so much for your prayers for me, for my family, my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall. And just a quick heads up, guys, uh, your prayers for my son have been answered. My son gave his life to Jesus a couple of weeks ago and got baptized, and it's just one of the... (laughs) One of the coolest moments of my life, seeing God work, and uh, such a testimony of uh, staying persistent in prayer and not giving up, even if it takes a few years to to see those prayers answered. So, thank y'all so much. Well, this uh, this week we are getting into episode twenty eight, and this is this is going to be probably one of the most controversial. Uh, subjects I've ever dealt with um, on reclaiming the faith. It's, and one of the most important, this is an episode on salvation. This is an episode about the security of our salvation. Is it conditional or unconditional? And so the main way that I want to approach this subject is not giving you what I think I don't want to give you my opinions. My opinions do not matter at all. What matters is what the Bible says. And I also believe what really matters is what the earliest Christians taught and believed about these issues, these core issues facing us today. So what you're going to hear is not so much of my thoughts, but what the earliest Christians believed. And the way I'm going to do that is by giving you an audio version of chapter six of my book, New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. And this chapter deals specifically with the issue of salvation. But I do want to give you a little bit of a spoiler. Um, Just to clarify right from the top, I do not believe that people can lose their salvation like they would lose their car keys. I definitely believe that believers in Jesus Christ have security in their salvation. So let me get that out right from the top so that there's no confusion here, okay? But what the earliest Christians believed may be very different than what you have been raised to believe, what you have been taught in church And even if you've been to seminary like me, what you've heard in the seminaries. So with that being said, I also want to give you a little bit of a a heads up as to the GoFundMe project campaign that uh, has been going on for a little bit to help cover the cost of the production of this uh, seven song EP that I've been working on. Uh, Right now we have... Uh, we've already raised about $1,500, and that's just incredible, guys. Thank y'all so much. Uh, several of you listeners have helped uh, contribute to this campaign, and I'm so thankful for it. So um, please check out that campaign. It's going to be in the show notes. A link to it will be in the show notes. Um, these songs that I uh, put at the end of every episode are original songs, and um so yeah, you're helping me take those from just being demos primarily to a full, full, fully produced album, and I'm just so thankful for that, and I pray it's a blessing to you. And if you're blessed by this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave an honest review on my iTunes channel Reclaiming the Faith. And also, if you have any questions about what's being said, please feel free to contact me at my website, reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com, or you can email me at email philsbaker at gmail.com. My book, New Wineskins in the Simple Words of Christ, can be found on Amazon. And if it's a blessing to you, please leave an honest review there too. Um, and I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Fall's Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With an Answer. And you can contact BDK at omegafrequency.com, and you can send in questions for that Q&A show there, even if they're about this episode, feel free. And in addition to our own channels, you can find each of our podcasts at fourthwatchradio.com. We're on the Fourth Watch Radio podcast. And finally, The early Christian quotes I use can be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, and you can purchase your copy for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website. It is so worth it. It'll change your life. All right. Well, without any further ado, let's get episode 28 rolling from my book, New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ, chapter 6, called If Then Jesus. Chapter 6. I remember the night I discovered Santa Claus wasn't real. During my third grade year, my friends at school planted what I thought were vicious anti-Christian rumors in my head that the large, jolly, bearded white man in the red suit was a myth. So, I stayed up late that Christmas Eve and hid behind the couch to see if the allegations were true. And sure enough, Around 9.45 p.m., I saw my mother begin to fill our stockings, which were hung by the chimney with care. What a downer. After all those years in presence, my annual benefactor was a lie. So Christmas wineskins ruined. I wonder how long I would have believed that lie if no one had told me differently or I hadn't sought out the truth for myself relatives still give me presents from this Santa fellow, even though I'm 35 as I write these words. But this is certainly not the only kind of myth passed down through the generations. There are many other strange claims surrounding people, ideas, and events in history. When we take a hard look at the facts, though, we can easily be shocked and appalled at what the masses have been convinced is the truth. Remember, as Blaise Pascal said, truth is so obscure in these times and falsehood so established that unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. Well, I want to know, live, and communicate the truth, especially concerning the fundamental matters of scripture. In the God-breathed, authoritative scriptures, Jesus said that we are truly his disciples if we continue in his word. And as we do that, we will know the truth and be set free. That's from John 8, verse 31 through 32. So, let me provide some historical truths for you. I'm going to present to you facts concerning two two doctrines that have been taught throughout church history. I will call them Doctrine A and Doctrine B. And as I present these facts, I want you to consider which of the two you would bet your life savings on if you were forced to do so. In other words, if, if you were backed into a dark alley by Grotto and his thugs and made to put all your life savings, your house, and your car on one doctrine or the other, which would you choose? So let's start with Doctrine A. The early church writers believed Doctrine A from the beginning of Christendom through the beginning of the fifth century with some of these writers, including Clement of Rome, who was a disciple of the apostles Paul and Peter, Ignatius, who was a disciple of the apostle John, and Polycarp, also a disciple of the apostle John. Only the Gnostics denied doctrine A during this time, and the apostle John said that the teaching of these Gnostics was inspired by, quote, the spirit of the Antichrist, unquote, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 2 through 3. Now, let's move on to Doctrine B. Only the Gnostics believed Doctrine B during the first four centuries, and the early church writers labeled it as a heresy. The doctrine first gained acceptance in the church due to the writings of the 5th century theologian St. Augustine, who was born into a Gnostic home and chose to convert to Christianity only after the Emperor Theodosius made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire in 380 AD. Doctrine B only began to receive mass appeal in Christendom during the 16th century due to the writings of John Calvin, who frequently leaned on the works of Augustine. Now, based on those facts, if you had to bet your life savings on one of those beliefs, which one would you go all in on? I'm guessing it wouldn't be Doctrine B, I was taught this doctrine from childhood through my undergraduate and seminary studies. It is known as the doctrine of unconditional security, that once you are saved, you are always saved, and not even an act of God himself could jeopardize that security. As a side note, for the first 300 years of Christendom, every Christian who wrote on the subject of God's sovereignty, wrote that God is the ultimate sovereign ruler who has given mankind free will. And the only folks during that time who said mankind was totally depraved, did not have free will, and that God arbitrarily selects some people for salvation and some for damnation were, you guessed it, the Gnostics. Keep that in mind. As you continue listening to this, well, inevitably during the 30 or so years I spent in my previous denomination, I came across a multitude of passages that sharply contrasted the interpretations of the vast majority of my teachers on the subject. And usually these conditional sentences came in the form of if then statements such as quote, If you do this, then that will happen. Now, I found that though there were many verses in the New Testament that could lead brilliant teachers like Augustine and Calvin to believe in unconditional security, there were a multitude of conditional statements in the New Testament regarding the security of the Christian. Now, honestly, to think that Christians could lose their salvation was a scary proposition. So, for many years, I simply accepted my spiritual leader's explanations of those conditional passages and put my questions to bed. However, in the spring of 2011, all those questions were forced back to the surface when I I began to research the anti-Nicene Christian writings, and it became difficult for me to accept that the Apostles John Peter and Paul could have been so poor at discipling and communicating the fundamental truths of the faith that their disciples misinterpreted the matter of conditional versus unconditional security. And it was equally concerning for me to realize that if my spiritual leaders were right in their interpretations, it meant the Gnostics had interpreted the scripture correctly and. All the Christians of the known world were not teaching orthodoxy for the first 300 years of our faith. And it seemed odd that those whom John said had the spirit of the Antichrist would get this crucial matter of salvation right, and the early Christians, those with the Holy Spirit, would get it wrong. I had a hard time buying into that line of reasoning. So what I want to do now is take a look at some of those early Christian writings. First, this is Clement of Rome, a disciple of both Paul and Peter, written about in Philippians chapter 4. He's writing in around 95-96 AD. He says this, The Lord made it plain that, While he never forsakes those who place their hopes in him, he visits pains and penalties on the rebellious. And as a sign of this, Lot's wife, who had accompanied him in his flight but later changed her mind and fell out with him, was turned into a pillar of salt to this day. That was to let all men see how doubt and distrust of god's power bring a judgment upon themselves and become a warning to future generations this is ignatius now he was a disciple of john and he wrote this around 105 ad he said a tree is made manifest by its fruit so those who profess themselves to be christians will be recognized by their conduct Now, Polycarp, also a disciple of John and a good friend of Ignatius, writes this around 135 AD. Into this joy, speaking of salvation, into this joy, many persons desire to enter. They know that, quote, by grace you are saved, not of works, unquote, but by the will of God through Jesus Christ. But he who raised him up from the dead will raise us up also, if we do his will, and walking in his commandments, and love what he loved, keeping ourselves from all unrighteousness. Now, this is called Second Clement, and it is the earliest Christian sermon that we have record of. And this is around 150 A.D., in Second Clement, it says, "Therefore, let us repent with the whole heart, so that none of us perish by the way. Let us then practice righteousness, so that we may be saved to the end." And now, Justin Martyr. Justin is a famous apologist, and he uh, died. Justin Martyr. He he died for the faith. He is so well respected. And he says this around 160 AD. Let those who are not found living as he taught be understood not to be Christians, even though they profess with their lips the teaching of Christ. For it is not those who make profession, but those who do the works who will be saved. The Son of God has promised again to deliver us with prepared garments. If we do his commandments. Now, Irenaeus. So you're going to see some of the chain of custody here. Irenaeus was the disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, who was a disciple of Jesus. Irenaeus was the bishop of Lyon, and he wrote this around 180 AD. He says, With respect to obedience and doctrine, we are not all the sons of God. Rather, It is only those who truly believe in him and do his will. Those who do not obey him, being disinherited by him, have ceased to be his sons. Now, Clement of Alexandria. Clement of Alexandria was basically like uh, a guy who introduced people to the faith, kind of like a new members class in Alexandria, Egypt. Very well-respected guy. He writes this, it is neither the faith, uh, he's writing around 195 uh, AD, he says, it is neither the faith, nor the love, nor the hope, nor the endurance of one day, rather, quote, he that endures to the end will be saved, unquote. And now Hippolytus, more of the chain of custody, okay? Hippolytus was a disciple of Irenaeus, who was a disciple of Polycarp, who is a disciple of John, who is a disciple of Jesus. Now, Irenaeus is saying what certain Gnostics believed and contrasting that to what Christians teach. He writes this around 225 A.D. He says, hoodwinking multitudes, Marcus the heretic, a Gnostic, Marcus deceived many persons of this description who had become his disciples. He taught them that though they were prone, no doubt to sin. However, he said that they were beyond the reach of danger because they belong to the perfect power. So he's saying that Gnostics taught that once that even though you're prone to sin, once you're in with God, you are beyond the reach of danger because you belong to God. Now, this is origin Also around 225, Origen is writing uh, an apologetic-type work, and he also is contrasting the Gnostics' belief to the belief held by Christians. He says, "...certain ones of those heretics who hold different opinions misuse these passages. They essentially destroy free will by introducing ruined natures incapable of salvation— and by introducing others as being saved in such a way that they cannot be lost. So here are two, two doctrines of Calvinism. The first being the tea of tulip, total depravity. And he says that the Gnostics teach that some people are born with ruined natures that will never be Saved and then the P of total of tulip being uh, perseverance of the saints that once you are saved it is impossible to not endure to the end. Now this is Cyprian, and he is the bishop of Carthage. He wrote around 250. He wrote this very well-respected man to put on the name of Christ and yet not go in the way of Christ. What else is this but a mockery of the divine name? It is a desertion of the way of salvation. For he himself teaches and says that the persons who keep his commandments will come into life. Now finally, this is lactantius and also a very well respected man who ended up uh, like teaching Constantine, many Constantine's son, Uh, about the faith of Jesus. So Lactantius writes around 304 AD, a son who deserts his father in order not to pay him obedience is considered deserving of being disinherited and having his name removed forever from his family. How much more so does a person deserve to be disinherited who forsakes God? in who the two names meet that are entitled to equal reverence, Lord and Father? Of what punishments, therefore, is he deserving, who forsakes him, who is both the true Master and Father?" Now, you can definitely understand how difficult it was for me to read these words without getting defensive. Soon. I had to put them down and grab my Bible so I could convince myself the New Testament writers clearly and undisputedly countered these early interpretations. However, as I began to scour the scriptures, God directed me to an overwhelming number of passages that supported the early Christians' writings. It was a difficult few days, to say the least. And here... Are merely a handful of those passages on conditional security, but I have included in the show notes a conservative list of over 80 passages in the New Testament that teach us, uh, seemingly teach us, that salvation is conditional. But let's start with Matthew chapter 10. Verse 32 through 33, Jesus says this Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Now, Jesus again in Mark chapter 13, verse 13, he says to his disciples, You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Now in John chapter 15, verse 4 through 10, Jesus says to his disciples, "'Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine.'" So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you my father is glorified this but glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples just as the father has loved me i have also loved you so abide in my love if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments And abide in His love. In Romans chapter eleven, verses seventeen through twenty-two, seems to continue this idea of vine and branches. He writes, "But if some of the branches, speaking of Israel, the Jews, some of the branches were broken off, and you, talking to the Gentiles that are in faith in Christ, and you being a wild olive." were grafted in among them and became a partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, quote, branches are broken off, were broken off so that I might be grafted in, unquote. Well, quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. So do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness otherwise you will also be cut off again paul in colossians chapter 1 verse 21 through 23 he writes to christians and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind engaged in evil deeds yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul was made a minister. Now, I want to bring you to perhaps one of the uh, most difficult to hear passages for ministers of the gospel. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and Paul is writing about what constitutes an elder that is acceptable for church leadership. This is chapter 3 of 1 Timothy verses 6 through 7. Paul says that An elder must not be a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Here Paul just said that an elder can fall into the same condemnation incurred by the devil. And what is that condemnation? Well, Revelation tells us that hell, the lake of fire, was created for the devil and his angels. Okay, moving on to Hebrews chapter 3 verses 12 through 19. The writer is writing to Christians because he calls them brothers, brethren, He says this, chapter 3, verse 12 through 19. Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you with an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast, the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. While it is said, quote, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, unquote. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Now the book of James, this is the brother of Jesus writing in chapter five, verses 19 through 20. Again, to Christians, he says, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, Second Peter, maybe I misspoke earlier when I said that First Peter 3 was perhaps the scariest passage for church leaders because Second Peter chapter 2 is right up there with it. 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 and then 17 through 22. Peter writes this. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon them. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them The way of the truth will be maligned, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out a Uh, For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world By the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, than, having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallow in the mire. How in the world could it be better for a Christian to have not known Jesus than to have known him? I would encourage you to wrestle with that question. Now Jude, also a brother of Jesus, Writes this in verses 3 through 5. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And last, we go to the book of Revelation In the last few verses of the book, chapter 22, verses 18 through 19, John writes this, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy... God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. Now, for me, it was extremely difficult to wrestle with such a funda- fundamental belief that I had. It was almost like a grieving process. Naturally, when I have presented this material, these truths, to solid Bible-believing people since that time, some have accepted it, while others have not. Of those who have had a hard time with it, the main verse they quote in response is John 3, verse 16, which says, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Like them, I completely believe this verse because I also completely believe in the authority of the Scriptures. But when you take a closer look at the word translated believe in this verse, which is pestuon, you find that it is a present active participle, which means a current participle active, believing state. Therefore, a more helpful rendering of the sentence could be, whoever, believing in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. And this corroborates Jesus' statement in Luke chapter 8, verse 13 in the parable of the soils. He says, Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these, having no firm root, they believe for a while and in the time of temptation, fall away. The people represented by rocky soil held a true but shallow faith in God. But when they stopped actively believing, they fell away and became apostates. To commit apostasy literally means to depart or fall away from a previous place of standing. Given this, it stands to reason that you can neither depart nor fall away from a place you've never been. Paul clearly says in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1 and 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3 that some Christians will commit apostasy when they truly choose to leave the faith. Other folks I have spoken with insist the early Christian writers must have been preaching a doctrine of works-based salvation, and this is simply not true. The early Christians believed that we receive new birth and initial salvation by repenting of our sins and trusting in the life, the way, and the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ alone by grace through faith and we then stay on the vine of Christ and maintain our salvation by grace through an obedient repentant love faith relationship with him active believers in Christ then have security of their salvation second peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 11 summarizes how these beliefs can be understood as salvation by grace through faith. Peter writes this, Simon Peter, a bond servant, and apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world by lust. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, supply knowledge, in your knowledge, self control, and in your self control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if These qualities are yours and are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. So Peter informs us that salvation and security will never be Jesus plus something else. It is always by grace through faith in Him alone Jesus' grace gives us the ability to grow in His likeness, to repent, to forgive, to love, to serve others, to humble ourselves, to walk with the Spirit, and to endure to the end. It is His grace that lovingly gives us the ability to make the choice to either accept the promptings of His Spirit, believe in Him, and rely on On his abundant provision of grace, or to continually reject him and fall away in unbelief. Now, the early Christians held a childlike faith in their reading and love driven application of the scriptures, so they did not live in uncertainty and fear of losing their salvation. In many ways, it's similar to the way healthy married couples don't live in uncertainty and fear of getting a divorce. It's quite interesting, then, that Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 21 through 32, that God created marriage to demonstrate the gospel to the world. That's why it was created. Paul states that from the beginning, God designed marriage to be one man and one woman together forever. Forever. Now, Jesus affirmed these same words and preached against divorce throughout his ministry. However, he did give one and only one reason why divorce is acceptable in God's eyes. Marital unfaithfulness. I encourage you to take a moment and read Matthew 19 verses 1 through 9. If you're listening to this, please pause it and read that scripture now to jesus marriage was to be the most secure and binding of all human relationships yet not even marriage was an unconditional covenant and this analogy of marriage helps us understand paul's words in 2 timothy verses or chapter 2 verses 11 through 13 he says it is a trustworthy statement for if we died with him, he will also live, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Basically, God will never be the adulterer in the relationship. For if he sinned, the world would end. But he will let us disown him in unbelief. So to kind of start bringing this to a conclusion, I want to talk a little bit about the tension between works, or the connection between works and belief. Because the early Christians believed that we could give away, basically, our salvation. But it wasn't through works, it was through belief. Belief. You see, as the writer of Hebrews says, sin hardens our heart. And the more we sin, the more distant we feel from God. So it is not just some sin that will make us lose our salvation. No, it is continued unrepentant sin that hardens our heart and deceives us and encourages us into idolatry, into a rejection of the truth, into a state of unbelief, and that is divorce. That is spiritual divorce. I want to encourage you also, if you are listening to this, to check out some show notes that I have uh, with a link to a uh, podcast that Dr. Michael Heiser did on the issue of Hebrews 3 unbelief and salvation. Dr. Michael Heiser is the academic editor for Logos Bible Software. So he's a PhD professor, written many books, and I really want to encourage you to hear another academic approach to this issue. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with a choice similar to the one Pascal put before many folks in his day. He basically said that if there is no God, then we do not stand to lose anything but a small amount of fun for upholding a strict moral standard. However, if there is a God, we stand to gain everything if we adhere to his revelation, and we stand to lose everything. Everything if we behave otherwise. To put it another way, if we lead our lives believing our faithfulness to Jesus and His teaching affects our eternal destiny, and we find out our actions didn't matter in the end, we will probably have helped a lot more people than we would have otherwise. However, If we lead our lives believing our faithfulness to Jesus and his teachings on being born again do not have any bearing on our eternal destiny, and we find out that it mattered tremendously, we will be in a lot of trouble. Now, I don't claim to have a corner on the truth. I'm quite fallible. Just just ask my wife. However... I do believe and claim that the scriptures have the corner on the truth and that Jesus is the truth. So when I read in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to make disciples of all people groups, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything he commanded them during his ministry. Well, I believe that means everything. What Jesus says in the Great Commission is so plain that it takes an elementary school education to understand and a seminary degree to confuse. Jesus actually expects his followers to obey all of his commands because that's what followers of Jesus do. I'm quite aware my my finite brain can't have a perfect understanding of the scriptures Yet, I'm 100% convinced that when Jesus returns, our partial understanding will be done away with, and we who are in him, who remain until the end, will know fully, even as we are fully known. Until then, I believe the historical facts and scriptures I have presented to you are worth betting your life on. Whether you realize it or not, you're already gambling we all are. So may you be filled with humility, godly wisdom, and an all-consuming love for Jesus that enables you to persevere in genuine belief and love for him to the end. And guys, I just want to encourage you again that the scriptures do not teach that we can lose our salvation like our car keys. If you believe in Jesus You have security of your salvation, so do not fear. Do not fear, but love him. Love him more and more, and pray that you will love him with your whole heart. He is worthy of that. God bless you.
1: I've been a coward, and I've been a fool. I've been a liar, a hypocrite, too. But you've never wavered. You've never moved, when I get unstable, I hang on to you, but always know I am Tempest and troubles, your steady and shore, the wilderness, wanderings, your mercy endures, but all. Oh,